Welcome to Community Hope Podcast. We pray that the word of Christ would dwell in you richly as you listen and that you would be encouraged in Christ. We are continuing in the gospel of Mark. And you know, in the, uh, let's see, in the 70s, only some of you will remember this, one of the Kennedy's sons um, had bone cancer. It's blurry because I didn't want to pay for the article back then. I could capture the blurry one. But you could still read the top. Um, and, and he had his leg amputated. And about the same time, my twin brother, they discovered a bone tumor in his leg. And the doctor said, we think it's cancer. And if it's cancer, we're going to take his leg. And if not, we'll get bone from the bone bank. And I remember that was the first time I saw my dad cry, you know, telling me. And, and I remember, um, what do you do when that happens? You call everybody you know and go, please pray, right? The C word, leg loss, and we had everybody praying. Now, the good news is it wasn't cancer, so they took bone from the bone bank and, you know, and, and put it in. But I, at those times... Um, you pray and you pray and you pray, and then the, the need for prayer goes away and you stop praying. I think I treated Jesus like a shovel in the garage. When I needed him, I took the shovel out and I dig, 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 and then when I was done, I put him back. I had no idea he wanted me to be a shovel in his hand, right? Now, I tell you this because in this section, the, the people are confused about who Jesus is. I was confused as a child. I thought Jesus was just somebody you use when you need him. And they're confused too. Look what it says. Jesus went out from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many listeners were astonished. So you might not be astonished when I speak, but when Jesus speaks, like he didn't have to say, thus saith the Lord, right? I mean, he just... He spoke, and there was something powerful, and they're like, where did he get this stuff from, right? Who's whispering in his ears? Well, what is this wisdom given to him and miraculous powers by his hand? So let's say you're sitting there, and you're listening to somebody back in the day, and you're like, wow, wisdom, power, who's given him this stuff to say? What would you conclude? What do you think they concluded? Oh, there's a way. Isn't this the carpenter's son? I'm, no, isn't this the carpenter, the son of Mary? Okay, some commentators say it's a slam. Not son of Joseph. Why? You know, who was his dad, right? He Isn't that the illegitimate child of Mary, you know, and his brothers? Like, we know this guy, and they took offense at him. Why does he think he's so special? You know, and, and Jesus says, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his own relatives in his household. What we think of Jesus is massive, isn't it? Right? I think C.S. Lewis said, you can't meet Jesus and come away unchanged, right? Because he claimed to be somebody, right? So if he claimed to be God, he's either a liar, right, or he's crazy, a lunatic, or he's who he said he was, 
right? And then it says he couldn't do a lot of miracles there. He only laid hands on a few sick people. Some people go, well, Jesus was limited. But I think the people limited him because they didn't believe, right? Like, like it, they weren't coming to him in faith. They, 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 weren't, they weren't needy for him because, you know, oh, he's the carpenter's son. Who is Jesus to you, right? Who is Jesus to you? Who we see Jesus as massively impacts our lives, And so the scripture goes on, and this is when he sends the 12 out, and he summons the 12, and he sends them out, and he gives them authority over unclean spirits. You know, many times we forget this kind of stuff, or we think, oh, they were just superstitious. But there's a spiritual realm where we've talked about it, and Jesus has authority, and he gives it to his followers. You have authority over unclean spirits. And he instructs them that they should take nothing for the journey except a mere staff, no bread, no bag, no money, no belt. Uh, But wear sandals, don't go barefoot. Uh, And he said, don't put on two tunics. I guess that is a way to, you know, keep warm. Um, Or do you ever see the people who travel, like, on airplanes, and they just wear all their clothes on them, you know? And he said to them, wherever you, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave. You know, I thought of this authority over unclean spirits, because I thought, what is... The, the thing that Satan tempted Eve with, God's not good. God's holding out on you, isn't he? God's not good. He can't be good. I, was, um, I visited Candace a number of times, spent time with her as she was dying this week. And I get to the um, door with Bob. We happen to get out of our cars at the same time. Bob's her husband. And um, we're waiting to get into the ICU, and another guy's there. And he looks and he goes, are you a pastor? And I, do I look like a pastor? One time at a Christian bookstore, I'm having an argument with the lady to get the pastor's discount. <laughs> You're not a pastor. No, I am. You know. um, so uh, they went out of business. Um, but, but, but here I am. I'm like, yeah. And he goes, oh, I saw your badge. I have it clipped on my Bible. And I'm like, oh. And he said, I've been Googling for pastors. Yeah. Will you pray for my son? And his son was in a bad way, and just, I don't have time to go into the, the just tragedy, tragedy. Like, he was getting better in the, at the nursing home. There was, they, they weren't watching him, and he, he, he had another brain injury because he choked on his food and, and lost air. I mean, just horrible. And we're talking, and how can God be good? How can God be good? You know what I'm talking about. If God's all... All powerful and good. He's either one or the other, right? And, and of course, I have an answer to that, but I'm not giving it to him because it's cold comfort. Don't give an intellectual answer when people are, you know. But, but that's the, one of the first things that the evil one wants to say is God isn't good. He's holding out. So he gives them authority over these evil spirits. Uh, um, and, oh, and I, I have a great illustration of a lady who really struggled with the goodness of God. She said... I still beg God for temporary healing of this life, and I've done it for decades. The first time I remember, I was in third grade, and everyone was playing dodgeball, and I'm sitting on the sidelines watching. As I did it, I had heard in church that if you have faith and don't doubt, you can ask anything. So I asked, please, God, please heal me now right in front of the class. If you do, I'll do anything you want. And then I boldly got up and walked across the gym, fully expecting to walk without a limp. But after a few steps, I realized my limp was unchanged, 
and my small faith was squashed. I gave up on God. I hadn't prayed much before, and that day I concluded God wasn't real. Decades later, I begged God not to take the life of our son. Hours after my prayer, I held his lifeless body in the emergency room. God had, brought, God had not brought the healing I had pleaded for. Years after that, I begged God to bring my husband back. When he left our family, I was devastated. I felt certain God would eventually restore our family, so I waited and prayed, but the restoration never came. God answered no to each of these requests for healing, and each time, I couldn't understand why. I had asked God for good things and had promised to glorify God when they were answered. In the third grade, I became angry and disillusioned, and I questioned God's love for me and walked away. One of the first ways the evil one wants to say to us is God is not good. The scripture goes on, and he says to his disciples, don't take anything for your journey. Um, No bread, no bag, no money, no belt. Wear sandals. Don't put on two tunics, and wherever house you go, stay there. And then he says, any place that does not receive you or listen to you, as you go from there, shake the dust off the soles of your feet as a testimony against them. I don't think we practice this anymore. But you know what I've noticed? There are times where people, friends, relatives, coworkers, you know, aren't receptive to the gospel. I'm sure you've experienced that. I remember when I was in high school, I decided I'm going to tell uh, all my friends and former friends about Jesus. Now, I had kind of a, a partying life as a young person, and I remember calling a buddy and telling them about God's work in my life and everything, and I'm like, you want to come to church with me? He's like, no. You want to go get drunk with me? No. You want to go to church with me? No. Want to go get drunk with me? No. We kind of had an impasse, right? And, uh, you know, we drifted away. Years later, decades later, I'm dropping my kids off out in Grafton at the school they went to, and I drove by this place, and it was like his name and industries. I'm like, what? That? And I found out it was his company. And I thought, I'm going to go in and talk to him. So I just go in, and they're like, can I help you? And I'm like, sure. And I told them who I was, and I saw my buddy there, Tony, and he had oxygen going through his nose. He had some kind of sickness that they couldn't figure out what it was. I told them I was a pastor, and their jaws dropped, you know, and they were like, but I told them about Jesus, and my friend is like, yeah, I pray to God now. like, Like his sickness and his suffering had brought him to a place now where he was ready to talk about Jesus, where he's ready to hear the gospel. So sometimes you're like, oh, shake the dust. No, just move on, but don't worry. God may give you a, a, God may bring him in a different way at another time and another place that's kind of beautiful. And, and they went out and they preached that men should repent. When you hear the word repent, what do you think of? Stop being bad, do good. I mean, I think that's what most people think, don't you? Stop doing bad things. Is stopping doing bad things going to save you? No, no, no. So what do they have to do? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe in the King who is coming. They're doing these miracles. They're anointing people with oil, healing the sick, casting out demons. In whose name? Right, Jesus, right? Jesus the Christ. And and they're trying to say, hey, turn to Jesus. Uh, And then... 
if I was putting Mark together, I, I, I don't know that I would stick this story here, right? Because like in the middle of this section, you get this crazy story about King Herod. It's not even chronological here. King Herod had killed John the Baptist before this, but somehow Mark sticks it here, and there's a reason. So it, again, everybody's confused about who Jesus is, and King Herod is also. King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Some said John the Baptist uh, uh, has been raised from the dead. That's why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said he's Elijah, and others said he's a prophet, like, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. Interesting, isn't it? Like he's got this guilt and this shame on his heart. And then we, we really get a picture of two banquets, or should I say two kingdoms, how two different kingdoms work. And it goes into the story of how, how John the Baptist lost his head. And the King Herod, this is King Herod Antipas. It's not the, like the original Herod. It's the second Herod, not the third Herod. Okay. And, uh, and so Antipas, he reigned from about Jesus' birth to, I think, about 39 AD. And he uh, throws a party for his birthday. He's got military leaders, other influential people. And during the party, his wife's daughter dances for him. Now, I always thought, oh, it's some young girl but it was his wife's daughter from her first marriage because his wife used to be married to Herod's half-brother, and he stole her. And that's why they hated John the Baptist because John the Baptist is like, dude, that's wrong. You're like running the Jewish nation, and what you did is against our law. I mean, John the Baptist is mixing no words, but it said Herod, like, something was happening when he talked. But he also was bothered by him, right? And so you have this very probably sensual dance done by uh, Herod's wife's daughter, which would be his stepdaughter. And he's so excited about the dance, he says to her, up to half my kingdom I will give you. And so she goes, Mom, what should I ask for? Give me the head of John the Baptist. She's mad. I don't want to shut that guy up on a platter. So then they, they go and they cut his head off and they have it delivered to the party on a platter. It's just, it's just disgusting. But this is how that kingdom works. Your life for mine. I, that's cancel culture, isn't it? Right? I don't like what you're saying. I'll stop it. Your life for mine. Your life for mine. Now, you contrast, oh, 